This is Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for Changing Virginia. I'm Nathan Moore. Virginia tends to be politically in the middle of the pack. The state rarely adopts new policies that lead the way among the states. But we also don't like to be last. And so it was with Medicaid expansion. The Affordable Care Act passed in 2010, early in the Barack Obama administration. It took Virginia eight years to adopt Medicaid expansion. Enough Republicans finally came on board after years of blocking it. Medicaid expansion meant health care access for about 400,000 working Virginians who couldn't afford insurance. Medicaid expansion meant a little more economic security for those Virginians who were one accident, one sickness away from being financially ruined for life. It meant Virginians sleeping a little easier at night. It was a nice step, an important step, but it still did not get quality, affordable health care to every person in Virginia. We have many more steps to go to ensure that all Virginians have access to the resources they need to lead flourishing, meaningful lives. And then the pandemic happened, and that upended everything, and it was especially true for health care. The pandemic brought into sharp relief those who lack meaningful access to health care. It brought into sharp relief the desperate need for quality mental health care. It brought into sharp relief difficult questions about long COVID, long-term immune issues, long-term disability. Today on Bold Dominion, we ask, how can Virginia get quality health care to everybody? We're talking with two experts who've been on the ground, working to find ways to expand access to health care services. Almost half a million Virginians are covered by Medicaid these days, but the number of uninsured Virginians is expected to increase. Through this pilot project, we are helping address and understand the whole ecosystem of barriers to care. These community health workers are really the conduit between people that have health issues, but for whatever reason aren't connected with a provider. That's Susan Sherman. She's the executive director of the Charlottesville Free Clinic. In the second half of today's show, we talk with her about what Virginia's landscape of health care looks like, especially as COVID-19 has increased disparities in access to care. But first, we turn to social epidemiologist and UVA public health professor Dr. Rajesh Balkrishnan. Bold Dominion assistant producer Sadie Randall sat down with him to explain the growing need for medical care in Virginia. I'm a social epidemiologist by training, and I teach courses in health policy and epidemiology at the University of Virginia. I do research around access to care, especially in underserved populations, both within the state of Virginia as well as nationally and internationally. To start, can you please explain how reliance on government assistance programs for Virginians affect their access to certain health care services? Definitely, I think these are tough times and the costs of healthcare are really spiraling beyond control. So for many Virginians, access to these services through programs like Medicaid is very important. Otherwise, they would not have access to these essential services. So I think Virginia is one of those states which has undertaken the Affordable Care Act expansion and has expanded the Medicaid program. And this is really, really been helpful to a lot of Virginians during these past uh, few years, especially given what we are facing with the COVID crisis. This has really opened up doors for a lot of Virginians to be able to access care that would have uh, otherwise been out of their reach. Which communities do you notice have a lack of access to Medicaid in Virginia? 
So, you know, this is sort of really sad, but we do find that uh, racial ethnic minorities are less likely to get enrolled in these programs. Also, uh, sort of uh, new immigrants, many of them, because the paperwork to get filled and things like that is fairly daunting. So I think that a lot of individuals who are probably eligible for these benefits, but do not know that it's available to them, are missing out on services that essentially would be covered by programs like Medicaid. How have recipients of Medicaid faced a deficit in access to health care in the pandemic? So one of the main issues is, you know, even though you have medical insurance through Medicaid, many of the providers don't accept Medicaid insurance, especially private practitioners. Of course, if you are going to be seen by a provider who's practicing in one of the teaching hospitals or one of those places which is getting some type of state assistance, then they have to see you. What has happened because of the COVID pandemic is many of these physicians, they're dealing with the COVID positive cases. So it's sort of become really difficult. They are not able to take on the other types of patients. So again, it's become incredibly difficult to schedule appointments with many of these physicians. We did a study where we actually found that a lot of parents, for example, faced difficulties in getting visits for their childhood vaccinations because many of the primary care physicians were busy dealing with COVID patients. So again, I think the full impact of this is not known at this stage, but in a few years when we study this phenomenon, we will see that especially preventive type of care like vaccinations, screenings for certain type of cancers and things like that visits for those became incredibly difficult because of issues with the pandemic. With the new billing practices at UVA Health, the chief financial officer stated, we are committed to providing high-quality, compassionate care to all community members, and these new policies and practices uphold our commitment. How have you encountered any community members facing difficulties getting seen due to the wait times that come with these shortages you mentioned previously? I think there have been some changes made in the system to try to make sure that the care is affordable and people are not uh, heavily penalized. There is a tiered type of payment structure in place now. And there have been some changes made as far as recovery of patient billing is concerned. Now, I do know that it has been incredibly difficult for some of the physicians given issues with staff shortages, as well as priorities in dealing with COVID patients to sort of see some of their other patients. So I know that some of the physicians have resorted to things like telemedicine, especially to be able to reach patients who have to travel distances, and especially those who are seeking follow-up care after their surgery and so on and so forth at, at the UVA Medical Center. So I think there's a lot of innovative things being done, but clearly we do have issues with the healthcare professional shortages, which are fairly pronounced in this region. I know the healthcare system is offering many incentives, especially to recruit nurses and other sort of medical staff, because there are 
acute shortages of those in our region right now. And of course, we have definitely downgraded from a pandemic to an epidemic, but we are still seeing a lot of cases being admitted to the medical center for COVID. And so that is why I think this is a time of great stress and strain on the healthcare system, and especially for our local healthcare system here at UVA. And I think the leadership and the administration is trying to do its best to be able to meet this huge surge in need for medical care that has cropped up in our region in the past two years. Based on the various places you have conducted research, what are some common factors of ineffective healthcare access that you've noticed emerge in the state of Virginia? One of the major issues is obviously in underserved populations getting access to care. I think there are persistent issues like structural racism in healthcare, which sort of truly seem to impact the access of especially racial ethnic minority populations, getting access to quality healthcare, getting prioritized for healthcare. I think this is definitely one of the major issues we have as a society and as a community Uh, we don't prioritize preventive medicine. We kind of wait for things to get worse before we approach doctors to seek medical care. And we've certainly seen that with the pandemic as well, where people have waited until the last minute till they get really sick before they access medical care. Again, we've seen this issue with the availability of the vaccines. There are still many Virginians who are unvaccinated against the COVID vaccine, do not believe in the effectiveness of the COVID vaccine, although clearly now we have a lot of data and a lot of studies which are showing the benefits of vaccination. I think we really need to rally individuals and communities. And of course, Virginia is a little better than some other parts of the country related to this. We have better vaccination rates, but we still have a lot of individuals who have not been vaccinated, people who are in compromised immunity, who have not gotten their boosters. So I think one of the things with the COVID vaccine is it sort of loses its effectiveness over a period of time. And especially those with compromised immunity need to get boosters whenever they are available and whenever it's made available to them. We have several things going on. Of course, COVID has taken center stage over everything. For example, in the southwest part of the state, uh, we still have very high rates of cancer, poor rates of cancer screening. We have very high rates of diabetes in the state, uh, especially in rural communities. We also have a major opioid epidemic going on, especially in the south and southwestern part of the state. So there's a lot of things going on right now, which affects healthcare and healthcare is center stage for a lot of these things. I think it's time we sort of prioritize health, take actions to sort of promote preventive health and health behaviors and try to stay as healthy as possible because we are sort of dealing with an increasingly strained healthcare system, which cannot be as responsive to our needs when we want it to be because we don't have enough people. And clearly there is a lot of demand and not enough supply of healthcare professionals in the state. What are your opinions on this push to return to normalcy even though counties in Virginia are moving away from a low area of concern? 
This is a very, very difficult situation because, you know, we have not quite reached the state of normalcy yet. We are a society which is driven by economics and we can see this all around us as we see sort of small businesses closing, people losing their jobs, how it's sort of beginning to impact our lives and economy. And so at some point in time, you know, I think people will say that we kind of just need to sort of learn to live with this and move on. This is an extremely, extremely trying time from a lot of perspectives. So I think we need to promote every type of public health behavior that is possible. And I think this COVID pandemic has really shown us how we tend to de-emphasize preventive health and health behaviors that could keep us healthy and prevent disease from happening in the first place. In what matter have you seen the pandemic become a mass disabling event as research has come out that COVID-19 likely resulted in 1.2 million more disabled Americans? Uh, one of the things we are seeing is this long-term effects of COVID. Many of the individuals who kind of had COVID, we are seeing the effects of long-term COVID. There are people, for example, who are reporting these bouts of coughing. They have other types of disabling behaviors that are preventing them from being productive in the long run. And I think this phenomenon is still being studied. We don't know fully, but clearly people are beginning to document the long-term effects of COVID, and especially those people who just barely survived it. A lot of these people are having fairly debilitating type of long-term side effects, which is preventing a lot of these individuals from being able to return full-time to the workforce. So clearly, we are going to see more individuals in the workforce who are disabled and may need long-term disability and other types of assistance, as well as prolonged use of healthcare and healthcare services to get back into shape. I think if we kind of begin to make investments in our health and recognize the importance of it in our lives, I think we can move back fairly quickly to being a productive society again, which is free from pandemics. Dr. Raj Balkrishnan is a public health professor at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. Stay with us through a short break. In the second half of today's show, we're visiting the front lines of providing health care to low-income Virginians. You're listening to Bold Dominion, a state politics explainer for a changing Virginia. Visit us online at bolddominion.org. If you've ever had a question about state politics, well, just let us know. Maybe we'll do a show about it. You can shoot us an email at bolddominion at virginia.edu. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are served up. Go ahead and subscribe. Hey, you can leave us a nice review while you're there. Bold Dominion is a member of Virginia Audio Collective online at virginiaaudio.org. Check out all the podcasts from the collective, from science to history to music to community affairs. We amplify the voices of people in our communities and help them tell stories that matter. You can listen and subscribe at virginiaaudio.org. The COVID-19 pandemic put major stresses on every institution and system in Virginia. And that's especially true for healthcare and medicine. Charlottesville Free Clinic Executive Director Susan Sherman is on the front lines of the fight for universal access to health care. She spoke with Ashley Park about what it looks like to provide fully accessible, quality care in Virginia, especially when it comes to underserved populations. Free clinics are a really interesting to me and unique business model. And in Virginia, we are about one of 60 or 70 free clinics across Virginia. 
And each free clinic operates somewhat differently, but they have all of the basic tenets in common in that we treat people in our community that would otherwise go untreated. So for most of the free clinics, and for us specifically, we treat people that earn too much to be enrolled on Medicaid, but not enough to be able to afford their own insurance policies. So it's that middle ground, those people that are in need and as as deserving as everyone else of the basic foundational access to health care that would otherwise go without the care. And I think that people that discover the free clinic, whether they are patients or funders or donors, are amazed that this service actually exists in our community. And once people really learn about the value that free clinics across the state and across the country provide, um, easy for me to say as an executive director, but I really believe that it is a profound service that we provide in this community. In recent times, some people have considered COVID-19 to be a mass disabling event. Would you say you faced any challenging realities regarding this matter in the spaces that you work in, or perhaps even more big picture aspects of healthcare that you've seen shift since the start of the pandemic? We have certainly noticed that COVID-19 had disproportionately affected communities of color, just as it has across the country. And it's certainly unfortunate that it took the pandemic to really highlight health disparities that we've known were there, but we now have better data to really confirm the fact that communities of color um, in various areas um, have worse health outcomes across the board. And this is always an underlying uh, concern for the Charlottesville Free Clinic is that we are here to provide health care to every individual um, who would otherwise fall through the system. And whether that is a person of color, a person who is uninsured or underinsured, um, who has otherwise no other access to health care. We continue to educate and encourage and help connect people with vaccines and boosters. We you know, are rapid testing patients that are symptomatic if they come in. And we have partnerships with organizations across the community that are working with similar populations. So for us, it means that the pandemic has really shed a light on an issue that has been um, really the cornerstone of the work that we do for 30 years. How has the spike in need for health care in our state communities affected the Charlottesville Free Clinic? And what are some things you're doing to meet that need as it rises every day? Yeah, the need for our services seems insatiable. We are really running at capacity in both our, our medical clinic and in our dental clinic. And what that means is that we're firing on all cylinders. Um, the, the free clinic model employs a very streamlined staff that is supported by hundreds of volunteer healthcare professionals who work their day jobs and then come to our clinics and treat our patients um, alongside of our staff. And so we are c- constantly supporting our current volunteers 
and recruiting volunteers in specific areas. So as, as the need for health care um, continues to rise, we have to be able to rise to the occasion also. And that means we have to, of course, raise more money and able to provide more services to our patients and to support our organization. How is the process of searching for and integrating the organization's volunteers? We are very fortunate to, for many of areas where we need volunteers to be robust in volunteers. So we not only have professional healthcare providers that volunteer with us, but we are really important and sought after training ground for students that starting at the undergraduate level, but also in graduate programs in medicine, pharmacy, and dental schools. Um, Where we do need more volunteers always is we need volunteer pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. We need volunteer dentists and hygienists. And we have many ways to get in touch with us through our website, on the phone, and those are always, always welcome and needed. How often does the clinic find the need to use that telehealth model of care now? And how does that telehealth fit into questions of accessibility with the shift in care? Telehealth came onto the forefront just as it did with many other clinics at the beginning of the pandemic. So virtually overnight, our medical clinic shifted to telehealth, which for our organization meant an overnight investment in webcams because there wasn't a single webcam uh, that existed in this organization. And so again, um, everything shifted to telehealth. And then as the pandemic moved through its phases and our staff and our patients and our volunteer providers felt more comfortable coming into clinic, we still offer telehealth. The majority of our patients that are still using telehealth are for mental health, are mental health patients. Um, some patients just really do prefer the face-to-face, and we are good with that. Um, but some patients for mental health services are accessing telehealth. On the flip side, with free clinics in particular, how do you establish a presence to people who may not know something like this exists in the community? How would a patient usually find out about your services? We are mostly discovered by word of mouth, which for us is really telling because that means that we've got a strong sound reputation in the community amongst patients. So it's patients telling other potential patients. And that goes for our medical clinic as well as our dental clinic. Are there any other ways in which the clinic is working to widen reach? The way that I just described is one aspect of outreach is um, word of mouth, but there are certainly other avenues that we do take and that we will be taking as we move forward. One of the ways that we help the community understand that we exist and that we could be an option for them is that we are currently involved in a pilot partnership that's really important and exciting for us and it is a partnership between the Charlottesville Free Clinic, UVA Health, and Central Virginia Health Services, which is another safety net health provider. Can you explain a little bit more about what a safety net provider means? Sure. A safety net provider is really exactly what it sounds like. It is a provider who is there to catch people who would otherwise fall through the cracks of the healthcare system. And that's maybe they don't know what their options are. Maybe they don't trust the healthcare system. 
um, because there's certainly that is pervasive in our community. Maybe they don't have transportation. And so through this pilot project, we are helping address and understand the whole ecosystem of barriers to care. And these community health workers are really the conduit between people that have health issues, but for whatever reason aren't connected with a provider. You mentioned the importance of having the trust and respect of the community when it comes to providing services to these people. How would you describe the clinic's relationship to the UVA health system, something that's very prominent in Charlottesville as well as greater Virginia? And in what ways would you say that relationship impacts the local work that you do with individuals that you meet with? Well, UVA is a critical partner for the Charlottesville Free Clinic. In fact, it was two UVA residents who envisioned and established the Charlottesville Free Clinic 30 years ago. Um, One of those uh, residents and founders, Monad Carney, is still very much involved um, as an advisor to the Free Clinic and also one of our volunteer providers. And through Mo also, we have have, um, UVA medical students on a regular basis who are rotating through the Free Clinic as part of their training. So UVA is a critical partner to us, a critical partner to the community, and we have various ways that we are interfacing with them. Uh, Dr. Max Luna is another great partner through UVA. Max is the founder of the Latino Health Initiative at UVA, and uh, several years ago extended the Latino Health Initiative by standing up um, what we call Clinica Latina here at the Charlottesville Free Clinic. We have bilingual staff in both of our clinics, and so we can accommodate uh, Spanish-speaking patients pretty much all the time. But Clinica Latina is specific clinics where it is 100% Spanish-speaking that has really helped enhance the the cultural uh, sensitivity that we can bring to medical care. What are some of the biggest challenges that the clinic has faced, especially during these times? One of our biggest challenges was really staying open, really at the beginning of the pandemic when everything was new and there there weren't a lot of data for us to really understand what we could or should be doing. But this organization made the decision to stay open because our patients were, you know, some of our most vulnerable community members. So the medical clinic went to telehealth virtually overnight. Our pharmacy went to curbside pickup for prescriptions and mail order delivery. And our dental clinic set up a tent in the parking lot and performed um, evaluations and x-rays in the parking lot. And we took all of the precautions that CDC and our local health department were providing for our patients and for our staff and our volunteer providers, but we never closed our doors. So I'm incredibly proud of what this organization was able to do for our community during the most intense times of the pandemic. Is there a structure in place for families, and what does that care look like for all ages, from young children to the elderly population of Charlottesville? We primarily treat adults between the ages of 18 and 64, but if there are children or adults that are over that age that for one reason or another can't get care anywhere else, we will treat them. People often ask who our typical patient is, and my response is, it's your neighbor. It's the bartender at your favorite restaurant. It's the crew that maybe landscapes your yard. It's your daycare provider. It's thousands of people that live in our community. 
and uh, live around the block from us or in our neighborhoods. Can you speak more about the care management that the clinic makes available to the people of Charlottesville? Yes. We provide a full range of medical care, mental health, and dental services that I think some people might not even be aware of the breadth that of services that we can provide in-house and then out-of-house. So on-site in our medical clinic, in, in addition to internal medicine and mental health services, we have about 10 different specialty clinics um, throughout the month. And those range from gynecology, dermatology, orthopedics, psychiatry, rheumatology, and a host of others. What if you have to refer a patient elsewhere, depending on the circumstances? Well, by definition, if someone is eligible for Medicaid, they're not eligible for the free clinic because they would be seen somewhere else, and we don't want to duplicate services. And we, in fact, have someone um, on staff that if one of our patients becomes eligible for Medicaid, we help that patient enroll in Medicaid, find the appropriate provider that takes Medicaid, And then if they are getting prescriptions through our pharmacy, we will stock them up with multiple months of medications and follow them until they are well-situated. We don't abandon anyone. Last summer, Medicaid in Virginia expanded to include dental services for adults, which was a great policy move. However, the reality is there are no private practice dentists in our community that are taking Medicaid patients. So we are still at the free clinic seeing patients that are Medicaid eligible because there's nowhere else for them to go, and we don't turn away anyone who needs care. Susan Sherman is the executive director of the Charlottesville Free Clinic. Many thanks to her and also to UVA professor Dr. Raj Balkrishnan. My name is Nathan Moore, and I'm the host of Bold Dominion. Our show this week was produced and edited by assistant producers Sadie Randall and Ashley Park. You can find us online at bolddominion.org. Hey, and don't forget to subscribe. It's just a click away.